0: There will be a new offensive coordinator. Will that change simply erase a historically bad offense in the aftermath of uh, 2023? Here we are to review an Iowa bowl game and season here at the Voice of College Football on our Hawkeyes edition that we provide each and every Tuesday, of course, with all of you and the guy that makes it all go for us, Corey Brada from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Welcome in, everyone. Leave those comments and questions and we will deliver for the next 60. Corey, how you doing tonight? Doing okay, Mark. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Uh, there is only one college football game left for all of us to take in, so we get that mad rush of football for a couple of weeks with bowl games being played constantly and that... Uh, big new year's day as is tradition for college football fans and then it kind of all ends just like that
1: yeah yep disappointing that's uh it's where we're always at at this time um the only difference is typically we have a few games a couple games after new year's day yeah so they've switched those those schedules around and kind of a bummer
0: (laughs) which kind of surprises me because when that started to take place, and I'm guessing it's it's been less than 10 years that the TV networks, they control everything, that they took the opportunity. Okay, we've got this gap where we have New Year's Day and all the big games there, and then we play a national championship game, sometimes as much as 10 days later, and there's typically a weekend leading into that, like there is coming up this weekend. Well, we'll throw a couple fairly mid-tier, low-tier bowl games to make some more money. People want to see football, college football in particular, for the weekend. But uh, I, I don't know if that change was made again to to revert back to decades gone by where it's simply New Year's Day and then we've got a national championship game and that's it. But uh, I was kind of going through the schedule when it was first released thinking, okay, well, there'll be the Birmingham bowl or something like that on uh, yeah. that weekend. But no, this is it.
1: I think I would, I think I would like a couple of games this next weekend. And especially because there are enough games that overlap in the first yeah. couple of weeks that, you know, let's just spread them out. I don't know why that wouldn't be positive for, you know, viewership, et cetera. I can't imagine that that, that would hurt. Uh, maybe there's some research that they've done that indicates that people kind of, check out after the semifinal games. I don't know. Or after New Year's Day. I can't imagine that because people are like starved for football here in this country like all the time. So anyways, it's frustrating. I mean, I, I'm disappointed by that, but, but we should have a good game next Monday. Um, And and how about this? I mean, I know Washington's part of the Pac-12, but, you know, two future members of the Big Ten. So, um, you know, if Washington wins, you can't say, ah, the Big Ten won one. That's not how that works. But... Uh, regardless of who wins um the big 10 will have the defending national champion next year that's something to be positive about strength of the conference etc so um you know I, i don't have anything against michigan i have something against certain fans within the fan base but nothing against michigan other than the fact that there was some stuff going on with the whole signal calling and all that stuff but uh Anyways, moving away from that, a terrific couple of games yesterday in the the playoffs. And, um, you know, I saw the comment on social media this morning that um, the rule about injury timeouts needs to be revisited. You know, maybe that's true. I I don't know. I mean, I think it's I always do think it's really sad that we look at things like that only when it causes a problem. And it, it almost cost Washington the game. And, you know. I mean, if it had, it had. I mean, it would have been what it was, but what an unfortunate thing. I'm just so happy for them that they didn't lose because I, I had a, I've i never seen a kid like that, not in a long time, never seen a kid like that look at like he was in as much pain as he was in. That was uh, unfortunate to see, and I don't know much about the Washington roster, but that would have just been salt in the wound if they had lost after that injury at that moment in the game when Texas was not going to be able to stop the clock.
0: He's their best running back, and hopefully he'll be ready to roll uh, a week from now. I, I doubt yeah. it.
1: I mean, I I seriously doubt it by just based off of, also based off of, uh, Kalen DeVore's comments after the game. It was like, yeah, looks
0: like he's pretty okay, pretty injured. Uh, but okay, I did not see or hear anything post game, which would be up. You know,
1: you you want both these teams at full strength. I think that's fair to say. Yes. And you're not going to be a full strength at this point in the season. Everybody's dinged up. And so depth is going to be a question. I think Washington's got a good chance. I don't – I know they're the underdogs heading into this game. But, um, you know, these overconfident Michigan fans, um, you know, Alabama was one play away when this game went to overtime. It's not like Michigan ran them out of the building. <laughs> Very close game. And it's not – I can guarantee you it's not going to be another Georgia TCU game. All right? Because Michigan ain't Georgia of last year. And Washington ain't TCU of last year. So uh, you know, don't be overconfident here. Should be a really entertaining game. I'm really happy for Michael Penix because he he's had a he's had one of those careers that's like talk about ups and downs. And he's powered through and been uh been a cool story and a uh, Heisman finalist. And um I one thing I didn't realize is that he was some a Tennessee fan commented this on the postgame show yesterday that he was actually originally committed to Tennessee. I did not realize that. Um, You're shaking your head. Yeah,
0: I I did not know that either.
1: Yeah, apparently something involving, was it uh, the previous head coach down there? I think, I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, you probably would. Jeremy Pruitt. Pruitt. Something involving Pruitt, like Pruitt didn't want him or something. I can't remember, but it was, according to this person, it was kind of an interesting storyline. But uh, as it relates to Iowa, I did a 5-hour post game show yesterday so I don't know what else can be said but I'm a, I'm happy to answer any questions you may have for me Mark and you know we can talk about the future if you want.
0: Well, I was going to say I don't know if it's my knowledge of you doing a five game 5-hour post game yesterday or it's me just sensing that you would rather talk about anything else besides Iowa possibly right now after After five hours of analysis, and it's difficult to analyze zero scoring for a game.
1: I'll say this about Michigan fans, the Michigan fans I've been critical of who are arrogant, who are overbearing, who are pompous, who are ridiculous, that are annoying. I I, Frankly, I couldn't believe the number of Tennessee fans that took to my YouTube channel yesterday just to rip me. I mean just ah you were way off. Fucker. Okay, uh, Homer. <laughs> it's like what is wrong with you? I'll... They're mad because once again I was wrong in my prediction. And it's not like I had Iowa it winning. Was I. I had Iowa winning 20 to 17. Let's keep in mind Tennessee was down their corner uh, their top quarterback. They were down their top two running backs. They were down a bunch of defensive backs. And Iowa wins a lot of games 20 to 17. Anyways, but you know the game didn't go well. There's no question about it. I was really impressed with the five-star quarterback at uh, Tennessee, whose last name I don't even try to pronounce. Um, and, you know, Iowa struggled defensively against him for a while. By the time they kind of got things figured out, the game was out of reach. And that's what a bad offense will do. I mean, they just didn't – you know, maybe that things would have been different had they made a quarterback change earlier in the game. We certainly probably going to talk about that in the next hour, about the quarterback position, because it's a valid conversation to have. But uh, – Mark, you've watched Iowa football enough to know. I I know you and I have debated on this in the past. Like I remember debating after the Penn State game, you know, how would the game have been different had Eric all not fumbled, but like, again, how would the game have been different yesterday? Had Deacon Hill not thrown a stupid interception to start the game in the end zone down inside the opponent's five yard line, you know, would that have just been 35 to three? I don't think so. But I mean, I'm just guessing here. I think the margin for error with Iowa is so slim and it, very quickly can snowball. You can't have mistakes like that. And that's why so many fans are disconcerted by the fact that Kirk has doubled down on Deacon Hill so much because unlike Spencer Petrus Spencer had gains where he turned the ball over, but for the most part, he was just overly conservative, throw the ball out of bounds on fourth down. All right. But like with Deacon, he just makes dumb throws. And I like Deacon Hill. I mean, I, I kind of had a a, tweeted out an appreciation post for him earlier today because there was some video that somebody uh, with a media outlet in Eastern Iowa tweeted out of him kind of, as soon as he was pulled from the game yesterday, kind of patting Linez on the helmet. And uh, you could tell, just didn't put his head down, just wanted to encourage his team. And I think he's a great teammate. And based on my little interaction with, with Deacon Hill, he seems like a really good guy, loved by his teammates, very positive. I mean, just the type of kid you want in your program. He is not good enough right now to be a Big Ten starting quarterback. He's not. That's not his fault. I mean, it is what it is. He's just not. And So I don't have anything against Deacon Hill. I think he's tough. I think he's a good leader. He's made some good throws, some good decisions. He's got some potential. But he's not good enough right now. And that's okay. I'm not good enough either. You're not good enough either, Mark. I guarantee you. You go out there with a Hawkeye helmet on. We're going to be hating you too. All right? So, you know, the bottom line is... Um, you know, I, I'm frustrated by how Iowa handles the quarterback position. The good news for Iowa fans: quarterbacks, coach, offensive coordinator, go bye bye. He's gone. Brian's gone. I don't have any lingering feelings of sadness. It's not any uh, bittersweet moment. I I think a lot of fans would say that they're done. These last two games have been the epitome of ineptitude. They've played three top 25 teams this year, Mark. And they've combined for a score of zero to 92. 92 nothing in three games. I would say that their best three teams, without question, were Michigan, Tennessee, and Penn State. Is that fair? Those yes. are the best three teams in the schedule. Wisconsin ended up being a good win on the road. Northwestern, good win. You know, they look good in their bowl game. Iowa State, good win, although they lost in the bowl game. Those are good wins. The three, you could argue, elite games were against those three. And they got killed, they got squashed, they got mashed. All right. So, you know, the the offense is a wreck. There's no question about it. The offense is a wreck. And that hasn't changed. We've seen 3 years of it being a wreck.
0: We've gone back and forth with this so many times and depending on what the latest performance was and how the rest of the league and their division was shaping up, we would either really go in on the offense for good reason. And then sometimes we would be highlighting how great the defense and the special teams were to keep this program in contention for a championship. But what you just stated, the statistic that you just threw out there, I threw out on social media yesterday. It's not easy to, to, to discover. It doesn't take hours of research. It slaps you right in the face. That is, it's just, I don't, I have lost the vocabulary to describe, you just said a wreck, and I thought that might be the best way to describe it. I don't know that there's a team in college football that played those three teams that would not be able to score a point. So I guess the importance of it going forward is, is this Brian Ference's issue And does it all go away with him or if they bring in a capable offensive coordinator? I'm not talking about one of the best in the sport, but a a really good, capable offensive coordinator. If Kirk's approach is going to weigh that individual down and box them into a certain approach that is going to continue to produce what we're watching.
1: That's a good question, and I think it's fair to say, uh, without question, Brian is a big part of the problem. Um, You and I have had these discussions over the last couple of years for those that say, oh, it's this problem, or it's this problem, or it's this problem. you know, They're not recruiting well enough. They're not developing talent. They're not getting skilled players. They're not using the portal well enough. Those may all be true, but what's the biggest problem? And, And you can debate that if you want. I mean, some may say it's Kirk. I still think the biggest problem is Brian. And you know, uh, how much leniency will Kurt give to the next OC? I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I do think whoever it is, based on the candidates that have been named, or at least out there in the public, will give them a huge boost as it relates to the quarterback position. And people like Marco Linez, really talented young guy, athletic. He needs to be developed. He needs someone that actually understands the passing game. Not Tony Rassiope. I know Tony is... Is uh, working with Marco. I've got nothing against Tony Rassiope, but um, you know he he needs someone here at Iowa. And John Budmeyer, if he's going to be the full time assistant, be a full time assistant. But Brian was the quote unquote QB's coach, and we've seen nothing but poor production from everybody that he's developed, with the exception of being Nate Stanley. And I don't really know that you credit him for development, given the fact that he got here during the the Greg Davis era. So. Um, Big changes, especially at the quarterback position. That's my biggest point of uh, concern, but also hope, because I think whoever they bring in is likely going to
0: know a lot more about quarterback play than Brian Ferencz. Okay, we've hit a moron pop up a number of times in the chat. Wolverine Nation. Okay. There's a lot of garbage being spewed out here, and I'm being kind by using the term garbage. So Wolverine Nation has said, the corn-fed morons in Iowa need to get rid of ass cheeks, Ference. Okay, Kirk Ference is an exceptional coach. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He should be. He's earned that. He runs an exceptional program. Maybe he's got a blind spot or two. We all do. Every professional does. Uh, he's done a great job. Uh, I think you made the the comment to uh, in your conversation in the show with uh, Don Patterson yesterday. That um, whether you consider Hayden Fry to be the ultimate, the gold standard of Iowa coaches or Kirk, that's a great debate. So he is arguably the greatest coach in the history of the program. Uh, And then love Mark for giving Corey and his dog shit program the time of day. Mark is doing God's work.
1: I think he's a little butthurt because I told him to get lost on Twitter because he's one of these guys that just comments, comments, comments. I hate to block people because, you know, I'm not trying to go out of my way to to get rid of people. But eventually I just told like get lost. I don't want you on my feed. I don't want you responding like you can respond a million times. I'm not going to respond to you. I don't care. I don't care about Michigan. I don't care about Harbaugh. I don't care about how you cheated and got to the championship game. I don't care. So just leave me alone, go somewhere else. Don't make me block you. Find some self-respect and leave. Go somewhere else, find a different thread.
0: First of all, it's (laughs) not Corey's program. Corey's an Iowa fan, and he has chosen to cover Iowa football and athletics, and he does an exceptional job doing it. And so he is a fan who also takes a journalistic approach, a commentator approach, And so he is critical of the program when it needs to be criticized. He is a uh, cheerleader and celebrates the program's accomplishments. Uh, He tells it like it is. It's not his program. He he shouldn't have to defend it in any way. Uh, The shortcomings, he just explains and points it out and analyzes it. But it's regardless of the successes of any of these programs, and I've stated this many times concerning myself and other fans as well, let's not take it so much to heart that it's either uh, a validation of you as a person or an indictment on your character, how good your football team is. So yes, Michigan's (laughs) got a better football program than Iowa and Ohio State and everybody else in the Big Ten right now. I don't believe you did anything, sir, Wolverine Nation, to contribute to that. Not a thing. If anything,
1: he's taken away. If anything, he's detracted from the Michigan brand.
0: And a lot of people thought I was detracting from Michigan's accomplishments yesterday, but I was point blank asked about the scandal, about the cheating. And I focused on the football, but I did make one statement that we do know that there was cheating that has been confirmed and it's been punished and will be possibly punished further This is not speculation. This has been confirmed. Now, what needs to be determined is Harbaugh's knowledge or lack thereof and how systemic of nature that cheating was and is. That's what needs to be determined for us to continue to either say, okay, it's been dealt with. It's over. Fortunately, if you just enjoy football and want it to be honest and competitive, you don't want it to have been a widespread issue but if it is then it needs to be dealt with in a more harsh manner i think some
1: of these fans not talking about wolverine nation specifically but i think some of these fans would do anything to win literally it's so important to like it's so important to some of these people that it's like it's like bigger than life or death i mean you read some of these comments from people on social media that I don't know if it's they just don't have anything else in life or what it is. I don't mean that cynically, but I mean, seriously, like, this is a game. We're still talking about a, a game. Uh, who cares? Um, so, anyways, and and I love this argument from Michigan versus the world. It's okay to cheat because other people cheat. <laughs> uh, and so do the other top programs, Mark. So, not just Michigan, The all the other ones that are competing for a national championship. They're all cheating, just like Michigan. So, that eh, who cares? <laughs> I know you deal with this probably all the time on
0: <laughs> your main channel, I'm guessing. We do. We do. Yes. Michigan fans, just enjoy what's going on on the field. And, again, I just want the truth to be known. And we do know some of it. And it's been dealt with. Uh, and if it's further in nature, I would like it to be dealt with. Further, And if it's not, if everything that's been made known to all of us is the extent of it, then so be it. And hopefully they've earned their national championship game appearance to this point in possible national championship.
1: What is amazing to me is the fans that can't just enjoy it. Like the old saying, act like you've been there before. There's clearly people who have not been there before. It's clear that Michigan has not been this good in a long time, in spite of their storied history, because there's some people that just don't know how to take it, don't know how to behave. Um, so you know that's that's one part of it, and uh, I don't know, understand. I've never understood the whole, well, like, if your team wins a big game, why are you not just happy about your team's win? Like two years ago, when Michigan beat Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, they were headed to the playoff. For the first time ever, and I had Michigan fans coming on my show just to angrily tell me to apologize. You better apologize to us, and it. oh, <laughs> it's like, what is wrong with you? Yeah,
0: apologize for what? <laughs> do, well, who cares? Just for making a wrong game. prediction.
1: Enjoy the game, man. Enjoy the fact that you've actually accomplished something, and take joy in what your your favorite team has accomplished. But like I say, I just think it comes down to certain people take these things too seriously i don't know how else to put it but anyways
0: marco i almost called you marco can we talk about marco can we talk yeah absolutely because i know that you were adamant and i did catch 10 or 15 minutes of the post game yesterday if not more you were adamant about him being inserted into the game into the lineup before it was out of hand and he was placed in a bad situation a no-win situation and mark you know i've been
1: adamant about his upside since he signed, since he committed. Uh, I went back just for the sake of this discussion what happened yesterday. Last night, I went back to my first interview with Marco and reflected on what struck me about him. And I'm going to probably try to share part of that on Twitter or YouTube this week, because I think people would benefit from going back and listening to him, even as a young guy, probably a 17 year old at a high school in high school, um, you know, his maturity, he's, got a really good head on his shoulders and everything about him off the field, everything about how he interacts with people and with the media and on every level that I have been exposed to, he is exactly what you want in a leader. And and I know that's been said about other people. Um, I'm not going to name other quarterbacks that that are at Iowa, but, but he exudes that. And, you know, the one thing I've said since he, Committed to Iowa is, and I can, we can go back and watch the video, Mark. Uh, But he made the comment when he first committed. I talked to him before the interview. And then we talked about it on the interview. I had said in my breakdown, this guy kind of reminds me of Brad Banks. Just the way he runs. Like they would not seen a guy that has, is this mobile and this athletic since Brad Banks at quarterback. And then what's crazy about this and granted is, you know, five, six runs. He comes in early yesterday in the fourth quarter. And there were people on Twitter, like, you know, significant media people in the Iowa beat. This guy looks like Brad Banks. And I'm like, hello. Hello, McFly. Like, seriously. So, you know, I'm not saying he's an ex-Brad Banks, but I'm saying he did model his game after him, uh, which is funny because Marco Linez wasn't even around. He wasn't a twinkle in his mother's eye when Brad Banks was playing in 0-2, but he has said that before. He has got, I believe. I go back to the the interview. I believe it's an either an uncle or a grandfather that grew up an Iowa fan, and then Marco started watching Iowa, and um, you know really took to Brad Banks, watching his highlight film, and just basically said one year, one summer, he said, "I want to model my game after this kid. I I love how he can extend plays and run. I want to be a dual threat quarterback." And so even though he's listed, he was listed as a recruit as a pro style quarterback he's agile like he was making guys miss yesterday and and i don't know when you turned the game off and went to a different one mark but <laughs> i'm assuming did you see his his first couple of drives i did uh, yeah uh, critical downs long yardage situations and some nifty nifty moves to get out of pressure situations didn't have much time similar to what we've seen from deacon and spencer over recent time so the line is still an issue but the difference is here's a guy who can run and make guys miss and change direction. And who's not afraid to take a hit. I mean, I was impressed. I mean, we're talking third and 12 and, you know, fourth and 15. He converted. Um He's got to work on the arm, but I mean, this was his first ever action. He's a true freshman did not enroll early. He got here in the summertime. Um And, you know, frankly, yeah, two of seven for four yards. He didn't do anything through the year, but again, his, his first ever action. They came in the game down 28, zero, against a defense that was just teeing off on them and sending five-plus basically every time because they were in obvious passing situations every time. Iowa didn't put a back back there with Marco. They basically went naked, or excuse me, they basically went empty almost every time with him out of the shotgun. So, you know, there's just a, a lot of posit- positive things to take away from what we saw from Marco Linez yesterday. And, you know, how will Iowa utilize him? You hope that whoever the next OC is has a big role in that because I don't think many people, I know I don't, have a whole lot of confidence in Kirk Ferentz to evaluate quarterback play or certainly develop it.
0: I would like to go back, and I will at some point, although I promised myself this concerning all these bowl games, to go back and and pick out particular teams and players that I think need some review, and he would be one of them. And it's only seven passes, but I would like to go back because I don't recall watching the seven passes. Unfortunately for my uh, Iowa viewership of the two games, so I was really locked on Wisconsin-LSU, Iowa-Tennessee. The Wisconsin-LSU game started an hour earlier. Fortunately, or unfortunately, it would have been nice if the Iowa-Tennessee would have been the great game and the Wisconsin-LSU game would not have been, would have been the lousy game because by the time the Wisconsin-LSU game was over, there was only an hour left approximately in the Tennessee-Iowa game, and it was obviously over. So I had both games on at the same time, but that Wisconsin-LSU game was a heck of a ball game. Um, so I did see the scrambles, did see, and I, I did note even before I heard you say it on the post game, yeah, this is not just a C.J. Bethard who is a good enough athlete, can run pretty fast from point A to point B, but he's got... Some wiggle, he can slither through some creases and cra- and dodge some guys and create, uh, and it's just uh, something we haven't seen. You know what Mark, uh, what what Don said during
1: the post game show, and he was being serious. This is a former offensive mind, offensive coordinator. He said, you know, frankly, Marco could probably fill in as an emergency running back. I mean, he's obviously you know, a little tall. I think he's six two or whatever, but that's how uh, quick with his feet he was, and. Good burst. I mean, again, uh, and what I liked about watching Marco, and I actually went back. This is crazy that I did this after a five-hour postgame show. But Don and I stayed on together, and we actually went back. We should have been recording all this. We went back and went through the uh, film of Marco during that stretch and broke down every play just between the two of us. And, you know, again, there was a bunch of breakdowns up front. And he's going to learn, you know, he's going to be responsible for changing protections, you know, different times. I think he probably, you know, was not ready to do that. And and that was exposed a bit uh, on Saturday as well, or on Monday. Um, but uh, what I liked about it, too, is seeing his internal clock go off. I mean, a couple of those runs, it was like, OK, one, two, nope, go. And he... He went the right direction at the right time, and it's just there's a knack for that. I, I mean, it's just being aware. Uh, I think his pocket awareness was was pretty evident, even in a small sample. And they have just not had a guy who could be mobile. and And I think seeing him, what he did, even during that short period of time um, on the uh, on the ground, I think is even more of an indictment on the coaching staff for not having a package ready for him, not just in this game, but in other games with all the issues they've had at quarterback. Like it'd be one thing if he was just another immobile pocket passer and the the, quarter, the, the coaches are like, well, he's, you know, he's kind of the same. He just doesn't know the playbook as well, but he's not. He proved that yesterday that he can run like the wind. I mean, the dude is, is quick. He's fast. He's athletic. Um, And it's not like that's, it's not like this is the first time they've seen this. Like this is the first time the average fan has seen it. But I mentioned on the show, I I had a conversation with um, an Iowa player during the season, during the season, who was a defensive starter all year who made the comment to me that man, Marco makes us run like crazy. He's like, we have not had a guy like this back at quarterback. That was early in the year. And he was talking about fall camp. So, you know, i i just they need somebody who can evaluate these guys better and hey what's marco gonna do especially if Cade's not gonna play this spring Cade's out so you know it's deacon and marco unless they go get somebody else labus is gone they'll get james rezar in. i don't think rezar is enrolling early i don't think i've not had conversation with james but um you're going to have two guys plus maybe Tommy Pahulski. I think he's got another year left as a walk-on. Um, you know, One thing Don Patterson said that he'd like to see is Marco be the number one guy in the spring. You know, He thinks that Marco has shown enough, even in that short period of time, and Deacon has failed to show enough over a long stretch of time, that Marco should be able to go into the spring knowing he's taken first-team reps because of his ceiling, because of his upside. And I absolutely agree with that. To me, that is would be abundantly, extremely smart and wise. Like, let him go against the ones and understand these things throughout spring. And he's a hard worker. I mean, it, it was commented, uh, I think it was yesterday, Chad Lysico, the Des Moines Register, tweeted out. I think it was Jay Higgins or Nick Jackson, one of the two linebackers, made that comment about how he's always working. He's always working on the field afterwards. Um, and I can just tell you, again, he comes from, Marco comes from a great family. Um, his, uh, his grandma is very involved in our show. She's, she might be listening right now, Mark. I know she comments quite a bit on the post game shows and that's always, always cool to see. Um, he just, he, he's just a good kid and, and a guy you're going to root for, you know, and he just got so much that Iowa has not had back there in so long. I, I just hope that, uh, his development can be put into hyper speed, especially with the injury decay and the problems they've had with Deacon.
0: So I posted a poll on Twitter early in the ball game, and was about to do the same thing on our YouTube page here. Except I remember doing this a couple of weeks ago, and I went back and looked. And we've got about 400 votes on YouTube, and we had let's see, 175 here, so close to 600 votes, and roughly 80 percent. I think it's 78 percent here. It was over 80 percent. On the YouTube channel, uh, about seventy-five to eighty percent of what I would think are mostly Iowa fans chiming in, saying that there should be a pursuit of a transfer quarterback. Well, it's certainly not as just as easy as doing that. Uh, there has to be interest on both sides. There has to be scholarship review uh, to see what's available. So, Corey, you have certainly, uh, you know, responded to anytime I've brought this up recently. So where do you think we stand on that and what would need to be done?
1: I'm not against it. I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, people know in the past I've been avid about them needing to go to the portal at quarterback. So I'm not against the idea as a whole. Um, my concern, my biggest concern is I don't know that there are going to be scholarships available. Right now they don't have scholarships. So unless guys leave, they, they, I don't think at this point there's anybody that could come back. You know, one of these COVID guys that that has an extra year left. I don't think it's any of those guys that could come back that you would say, "Yeah, we want you to move along because we need to get a, you know, backup or a third string quarterback." Uh, I think if you can get Sebastian Castro back, you take him. If you can get Quinn Schulte back, you take him. And obviously, you take Cooper DeJean back. You take Nick Jackson back. So there's just not spots. I mean, if they have a bunch of guys leaving the portal, which I don't anticipate happening in the coming days then yeah, entertain it. Um, I think the future at quarterback is Marco Linez and potentially James Rezar. And Rezar's not even here yet, but I think the future is Marco. And do they need to develop depth behind him? Absolutely. Is there a concern with Cade McNamara's injury history? Absolutely. Um, if Deacon leaves, they do need to go to quarterback and get, and get a guy. But I mean, I don't know. Like, is this weird for me? To, I know people rip on Deacon Hill but he played nine games. If he's the third string quarterback next year, Mark, isn't that good enough? Is that a bad attitude to have? Can you really expect to have much better as a
0: third stringer than a guy who started nine games and won a bunch with your team? Not as a third stringer, but if Marco Lionez doesn't develop and turn out to be the type player that you believe and others do.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the big thing. So, I mean, how much faith do they have in Marco's ability and in their ability to develop Marco? So priority number one right now needs to be making sure we have the right guy coming in as the OC and quarterbacks coach. You know, and if you hire Joe Philbin, which I don't think is going to happen, you know, you're going to have to figure out who's coaching quarterbacks, who's actually coaching quarterbacks. Cause it can't be Joe Philbin. Joe Philbin ain't no quarterback guru. All right. He's an O-line guy. So if he comes in, what position is he going to coach? A. And how are you going to, I mean, from what I've been told, Kirk Ferentz loves George Barnett. So the obvious thing to do would be promote someone like John Budmeyer or hire somebody else that can coach quarterbacks, hire Philbin, let Barnett go. But I don't think Kirk's going to do that. So then if Barnett's here, Philbin's an O-line guy. They're not going to fire Abdul Hodge. So Philbin's not coaching tight ends. They're not firing Liddell Betts. He's in a tremendous job with running backs. Is he going to coach wide receivers? I, I don't think Joe Feldman, again, if he if he's not qualified to coach quarterbacks, he's probably not qualified to coach wide receivers. That's an issue. You, you've got to have, like, I love these people. Somebody commented yesterday, well, what about Pat Fitzgerald? What? What are we talking about? He's Seriously? Come on, man. Like, <laughs> so... I, I don't think Philbin is going to be it. I, I think the favorite right now is between a couple of guys, one of which being Chris. The other is probably a name we haven't heard yet. So, you know, hopefully that happens over the next few weeks. Uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks. Because if they're going to go to the portal, you, you you know, you do need to do that at some point. Here's the other possibility, Mark. Is it possible that if they hire somebody, that they bring a quarterback with them? You know, that there's somebody... You know, if it's Paul Crist, is, is it possible there's a quarterback buried on that roster? I'm not saying you want the leftovers of the Longhorns, but I mean, like if you're talking about getting a guy in for you know backup purposes or third string purposes, maybe there's somebody down there that Paul Crist has developed a relationship with that he'd he'd bring up here. Same thing with Joe Philbin at Ohio State. I and mean, is that a possibility? I, you'd know the Ohio State roster better than I would. So um, I, I I don't want Kirk to speed this process up. Like I have said before, it sounds like Kirk's going to be visiting with a couple of candidates this week. So I don't know if he's going to announce this week, but, but I think we'll probably get an announcement within the next two weeks. It's kind of what Kirk indicated yesterday. And I think that will provide clarity. I just think it will, it will provide a lot um, as it relates to where to go, but I, I don't know how much you can do personnel wise at that position right now without having a quarterback coach fully on staff. And John Budmeyer is, even though he's been the de facto quarterbacks coach, I don't think you're you're you shouldn't be banking your hopes in the portal and on, on roster improvement on uh, John Budmire, especially when you have the potential of bringing in a big name like a Paul Crist. I mean, that, that, to me, you're not going to be able to attract anything close to what you and I don't know how attractive Paul Crist is to recruits. I know he, he's not the most exciting guy you know sometimes you listen to him talk and you you start dozing off as he's talking but but he also Mark he had really good offenses at Oregon State now granted that was a long time ago uh 2011 was a really good year at Wisconsin granted he had Russell Wilson but those he had really good passing offenses so i have he understands quarterback play he understands the passing game that's something we have not had Brian has not understood the passing game Brian has not understood quarterback play <laughs> So I'm just saying, I know that sounds like I'm really ripping on Brian, but that's just, that's just laying the facts out here. They need somebody like, and so yeah, shoot for the stars. But if the consolation prize is Paul Christ, okay. Let's see what, let's where she, see where she takes us. And Paul Christ, by the way, Russell Wilson is a mobile guy. So go back to 2011. You want to watch him coaching a mobile quarterback. Go back and watch Russell Wilson with Wisconsin.
0: That would blow Hawkeye fans' minds to be able to get another Russell Wilson and watch that kind of production. We watched Brad Banks 22 years ago.
1: Sure. Right? Think about how different Brad Banks is from what we've seen at Iowa over you know the last 10 years. It's amazing. That was a Kirk Ferentz coach team, so it can work with this defense and with this philosophy. It can. Yes.
0: Absolutely, it can. You made a statement the other a few minutes ago concerning whether it would be you or me throwing on a Hawkeye helmet and being hated by the fans, because I certainly couldn't throw the football at the level that I need to. But I, I was out with my son, let's see three times during the holidays, spinning the old pig skin and uh, was still airing it out at about 35 yards.
1: So, okay, but uh, it, it's bad, been a yeah. good
0: three or four years. So it put a lot of wear and tear and shoulder soreness on me, but it was a tight spiral. Now, Takes a while to get there. Well, but um,
1: I I was going to start. You're not. You're not quite ready to check yourself in the geriatric ward. I'm. I'm not ready to start
0: calling you Mr. Rogers just yet. Not quite. Not quite. Give me a little bit more time. Which leads me. Maybe I'm making too much of this. Which leads me to thinking about myself out there with my son, throwing, catching, because when he first started playing. Football And he was a baseball, he played baseball. So there was only one year in high school, two years in high school. He wanted to go out for the football team and he was not knowledgeable about football. Anyway, tried to prep him on football and throwing and catching and so forth. So that leads me to a guy that I'm fairly critical of, but I just don't get it. And I know Kirk has said he's one of the most improved players on the team. And the one guy that is currently on the roster who could be a game changing kind of weapon on offense. And of course, we're talking about my guy, Caleb Brown. He dropped two passes in this game. And we're not talking about him dropping passes where we're expecting a wide receiver to make some remarkable catch. And he's, fully extended or something. And he drops the ball and we say, okay, that wasn't necessarily a drop, but a top playmaker, a top wide receiver catches that ball. He's just like, just flat out dropping throws that hit him between the numbers. And this is fairly consistent.
1: That came after the the two drops. I think in the first half yesterday came after, um, there was pregame footage from somebody in the media that showed up on Twitter where he's making these one-handed catches, like insane catches. Look, I, I mean, is it wrong for us to sit here? If, if we've been beating the, you know, Brian needs to-go drum, Kelton Copeland should be on the hot seat. He should. He's been coaching quarterbacks here since, what, 2017? I mean, quarterback, or excuse me, coaching wide receivers, wide receiver play has been bad more often than not. So uh, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. But, uh, you know, Barnett's not getting the job done either, but he's not been here as long as Copeland. And I think wh- what happened yesterday, you know, y- you're not going to evaluate a guy based on one performance. But, you know, again, wide receiver play and those drops from Caleb Brown, it's not just a Caleb Brown issue. They have had drops across the board from a number of receivers, including guys on this roster like Deontay Vines, Nico Ragaini, they've had a lot of problems with drops so like it wouldn't I I think Kirk could easily defend you know if he made the announcement the next week that uh, we've decided to part ways with Kelton Copeland you know especially if the new OC who comes in either a uh coaches wide receivers like uh I mean there's not many out there that do but I'm trying to th- think of the guy uh, the old Michigan uh guy who's out of Maryland now whose name escap Gaddis yeah, Gaddis, he's a wide receivers guy, right? So if he came here, he'd be coaching wide receivers. Now I'm not promote, I'm not trying to get Josh Gaddis here as the OC, but an example. And maybe if it's a guy like Paul Chris, maybe he has a guy in mind to come in and coach wide receivers. Um if it's an NFL guy, maybe he's got a guy that uh he wants to come in and coach receivers. So, you know, I think the only struggle I have with is the it's the seeming lack of flexibility as it relates to to Barnett cuz I mean, we're just not seeing drastic improvement with this offensive line. And we were hearing a year or two ago, well, they're young. They're not young. These guys are not young. They got Nick DeYoung coming back for a sixth year. Nick DeYoung, no pun intended. And people are not happy about it because they don't think he's very good. And I think it's ultimately a good move simply because I think it's very rare you can get a guy with that much experience, that many starts returning. But he's got to get better. It's not just time to flatline. He's got to get better we've been saying that for a while about a number of these guys. I know there's injuries, but that's part of the game. So, um, you know, there, we may see more than one move. Maybe I mentioned this on a recent broadcast. Maybe Jay Neiman, uh, a defensive recruiting coordinator and assistant D-line coach. Maybe he retires. Both of his sons have made it through. They're both playing in the NFL. Ben and uh, Nick are both in the NFL playing as linebackers. Maybe he wants to be at more of their games. And, uh, you know, he's not getting any younger. I don't know how old Jay is. I think he's probably 60. Um, so, I mean, you know, maybe he he walks away and then you have an open spot on the staff that you can kind of toy with. Um, I would think Kel- Kelvin Bell is capable of coaching the defensive lineman. I, I don't know how you would, I know that both those guys, one guy's been handled. I think Kelvin's been coaching the quote unquote interior guys and, and Jay's been on the outside, but I'm sure there's ways you could make that work with Seth Wallace, et cetera. But um, there may be more than one staff move, I guess is what I'm what I'm pointing to. And, and you're absolutely right about the Caleb Brown thing; that was ridiculous. Now, what I also thought was ridiculous, and I retweeted this today, Chris Hassel, who's uh, I think I think he's with CBS Sports now, and he's a you know former Iowa local media guy here in the state of Iowa, so people around here know him, and he's a Hawkeye fan. He tweeted something out that I retweeted earlier today. He tweeted out yesterday, this, this was at halftime, right after halftime. He said that the sideline reporter just said that Kirk told her the offensive struggles so far have nothing to do with Deacon Hill. Did I hear that right? And that's not exactly what was said, but I went back today and, and listened to the sideline reporter coming out of the tunnel, and she said she had a conversation with Kirk, and basically she asked Kirk, how do you get Deacon Hill going? How do you get the ball downfield? And Deacon's resp- Kirk's response was, well, it's not really... And it got anything to do with Deacon Hill right now. That's a, that's a weird thing to say, man. That is a strange thing to say. Uh, you can make the comment about drops. Like, yeah, he brought up drops. You knew he was going to. And by the way, as soon as Caleb Brown dropped those two passes, I said to the people watching, me, watching the game with me, I said, you watch, Kirk's going to point to those drops and say, we got to catch those. I don't know what it is about defending quarterback play. I don't know what that is other than just you're, being, you're, you're afraid of being proven wrong. It's the most important position in the field. It's your sonny boy's position that he's supposed to be coaching. I don't know how else to uh, explain it. But that was a... I almost want to cut a video just on that report from the sidelines because that was concerning. Um, so they need somebody
0: in here who, who understands evaluation better than these guys. Every wide receiver drops passes. But again, everyone that I know of that I can recall, Caleb Brown dropping was an easy drop, was was right there. He dropped one on the end zone. I think it was against Nebraska earlier this year. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. He He did one of these. Yeah. yeah. And we're not talking about a guy that's catching 90 passes and dropped five or six throughout the season. We're talking about a guy I know I had counted – six or seven drops probably going into this maybe not quite that high anyway we're talking about a guy that 11 catches i think coming into this game so he caught three in this game so he's caught 14 passes and dropped half that many that's not that's a terrible that's a that's terrible drop yes. yes that's awful We've got a comment coming in from Erica, and I want to say to Erica and everyone else that was urging Corey and I to move on from the Michigan discussion to Iowa, while others were certainly enjoying the the Michigan conversation. Just understand, yes, we focus on Iowa football, of course, as we do on all our shows, focus on the team at hand. However, it is a national championship game, and it is a team within the Big Ten, so there is something to discuss there connected to Iowa but of course we want to focus on the Hawkeyes and Erica says imagine what the season could have been if Marco had been QB 2 instead of Hill another indictment on Kirk need to get another quarterback from the portal
1: I will say this I have no doubt that Marco would not have like, I don't think just playing Marco would have made the difference like he's a true freshman he, he's going to have learning curves and we saw some of those in the fourth quarter now he could have been putting much more advantageous Positions. I mean, this Nico kid for Tennessee had taken 26 pass attempts heading into the game. You know, it's not just Purdue that gives their backups time in the games. I was one of the few that does not for, for reasons completely unknown to me. So, you know, if he had been the full time starter, he would have been way ahead of schedule. He would have struggled and fans would have been frustrated. But he's a true freshman. You're, you're going to get that. And not everybody's a five star, and and I think a lot of people expected Nico to struggle more than he did yesterday, and and the defense gave him some problems as the game went on, but uh, he was really good. He's really good. Um, I saw some, I heard some comparisons. People were were talking about him and uh, Marcus Mariota. Was it? The, I think it was the uh, Brock Osweiler that made that comparison, and I thought it was a good comparison at, at a college, um, a young Marcus Mariota. Um, but I think he's even a little bit bigger. He's bigger than Mariota, isn't he? I think Mariota yes. was closer to like one or 6'2.
0: Yeah. Uh, Nico's like 6'5. The play-by-play uh, announcer for the game is one of my favorites, Dave Fleming. He pointed out a number of times, I, I think he was just taken back by the Deacon Hill stat line because he stated that, Before there was even a snap, he said, in this day and age of college football, you don't rarely see these kind of numbers. A quarterback completing less than 50% of his passes and with this touchdown to interception ratio and then he made a comment. And he's not the type announcer to try to call people out. He stays within his lane, just calls the game, and he's really good at what he does. Which leads me to a completely different topic, and I'm just going to throw it out there. You probably did not come across this, but I think I DM'd you during the, the game, and I didn't see this start to finish, but one of the most bizarre broadcasts I've ever heard was the broadcast from Barstool Sports of the, whatever they call their bowl game, the Arizona Bowl, the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl between Toledo and Wyoming. It was, and I would have to admit, while I would mostly be critical of it, it did cause me to chuckle a few times. And didn't Wyoming win that game? Yes, they they won at the end 16 to 15. No I didn't get to watch that,
1: but I did get your DM about it.
0: Part of the amusement was the announcers were actually reading tweets from viewers telling them how bad they are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what channel was that game on? It was on the CW the CW. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It was hilarious. Like, <laughs> did you hear the recent controversy? This goes back maybe a couple of months. Carissa Thompson, who I don't even know who she's with anymore. She used to be with the Big Ten Network and a couple other networks. She actually admitted on a podcast that she has made up comments from coaches. Did yeah, you I hear did about hear. that? <laughs> so during <laughs> their Barstool uh during the the the, the broadcast coming out of halftime one of their sideline reporters said well i didn't actually talk to coach uh (laughs) so and so but i i didn't actually talk to coach craig ball of wyoming but i believe he would have said (laughs) that like they were doing stuff like that the entire game
1: i'm assuming that these were barstool commentators like they weren't cw commentators
0: they okay. were they were bar stool. they okay. actually had the owner doing he was in the three-man booth as well it was Portnoy was, was on there yeah yeah he was on there it was just uh i don't, I don't again did he you, uh
1: did, did he keep it clean he's usually pretty
0: yeah they kept it clean they talked a lot of betting like they were actually rooting during the broadcast they were like the get the the one leader runner went for like a 75 yard touchdown and they're going come they're screaming <laughs> <those front> <laughs> And then they're like, "Well, we're not actively rooting for Toledo, but I do. But uh, you know, I do have a uh, Toledo plus three on the money line <laughs> for the first half. You know, there's no rules with <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I will say
1: this: one of my favorite quotes from uh, yesterday, Dave Fleming was quoted as saying, "Hawkeye fans have watched the same game over and over again." And then Brock Osweiler, very simply put, they just can't
0: generate points. <laughs> I thought, oh, truer words have never been said. It is just, and I know you already know this, but I, I have a different perspective. You are in the midst of it. You are buried in it. I see it from the outside and I'm familiar with it. And then I get all the other aspects of college football. But this is a one one and no other like it situation in college football. It is something else.
1: I can't imagine that the offense can be this bad with a new OC. I just can't imagine it. I just don't see how that's possible. That's why everybody say, well, he's not the problem. He's part of the problem. Like he's a big part of the problem. Yes. Like, and and I asked Don Patterson, this, I think maybe the, the highlight of the show yesterday, I asked Don, I said, and Don's always very respectful because he's friends with Kirk and you know, he, um, on a personal level, he's got a good relationship with Brian, but, uh, I asked Don, I said, is it fair to say now that, that, uh, Iowa is out, a, a an offensive coordinator, is it fair to say that a better offensive mind, a better coordinator could work within the confines of what we think to be Kirk's philosophy and have a lot more success? And he said, yes, absolutely. In other words, like just the play selection is bad, you know? And he didn't say that, but that's kind of what you gather from that. Um, There's ways to run this system and run it
0: a lot better than they run it. Isn't that, if we took Wisconsin, not even the best, the very best Wisconsin teams, but Wisconsin doing what they do typically before the last couple of years and this Luke Fickle reiteration of what they're doing now, which is different. But this has been very similar in terms of approach trying to support and complement a top five to 10 defense in the country with a strong running game offensive line play action pass conservative approach but not ridiculously conservative that's yeah. what Wisconsin's been for the last 15 to 20 years but so, much more successfully and so why aren't fans more excited about Paul Christ? That's what I'm saying. Like, because that's, of what that's, you pointed out before. Because they just don't get excited about the personality.
1: I get that. I get that. And I get he's not a young guy. Some people just say, well, I got to have a young gun.
0: But just in general, he's a very qualified candidate.
1: He he was up for the Northwestern job. And my understanding is he chose not to take that job. Chose not to pursue it. So, I mean, he would be a very good hire. And Erica, she says in the chat, I see uh, because Chris is too conservative. Again, Like, yeah, I understand you'd like a guy who's, you know, less risk adverse and and more kind of opposite direction against the grain of the Kirk Ferentz mindset. But Kirk's not going to do that. So, I mean, it's likely that I should say it's likely Kirk is not going to do that. If Kirk all of a sudden becomes willing to do it. Yeah. I mean, go spread them out and and change the approach. But if he's not going to change the approach, get the best guy for the approach. And I think you're going to be hard pressed to find a better candidate for the approach than Paul Christ.
0: I was just going to randomly grab a year and see where Wisconsin ranks in total offense, but anyway, we we know that it's substantially better. That it's, I'm guessing mostly between fifty and seventy, somewhere in that range.
1: Yeah, and and like I say, the, the 2011 season they were really good
0: that was reminiscent of iowa 2002 i just grabbed 2019 in yards per play they were 29th in the country yeah
1: yeah they strong running attack and that's what iowa wants that's what kirk ference wants but they've not been able to figure it out up front so you know i would guess if they bring Chris in, you're going to see more gap concept a little bit less zone we saw a little bit less zone this year in general but um yeah i don't know i mean it, these guys are all these guys that are in the conversation, much more uh, qualified to have these conversations than, than I am. But uh, there's some good people out there. I mean, there's some good people that, uh, even if you view them as conservative, people that are well qualified to make this offense a lot better and to make the quarterback position a lot better. And perhaps other positions, too, just by the nature of of schematic changes and uh, personnel potential personnel influence.
0: Erica, thank you so much for the super chat and the comment concerning the discussion about Michigan. Uh, Yes, thank you for that. We appreciate you being here as always. Uh, Jim asking, can Paul Christ recruit? And here's my perspective on that. You just have to be aware as a head coach when you're forming a staff the strengths and weaknesses of those people that are working together on one side of the ball. And you just need to make sure, Hey, if I'm bringing in an X's and O's guy, who's maybe strong suit is not recruiting that he's surrounded by position coaches who do have that as a strong suit to be able to supplement that. So there just has to be an understanding. They don't all need to be great recruiters. Yeah.
1: And I, I, you know, The way recruiting works is a lot of people know, you know, like talking to Michael Burt from Omaha. He's a tight end signee now for the 24 class. You know, LeVar Woods recruited him. So it's not always a positional thing. I mean, LeVar was his primary recruiter. Of course, he knows Abdul Hodge. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, is he the most exciting grab from a recruiting perspective? No, probably not. But I think Liddell Betts has really proven himself from a recruiting standpoint. LeVar Woods is a really good recruiter. I um, don't know as much about George Barnett. I know he's he's loved by his players, as is Seth Wallace. So I think they got some people who, you know, they, they've been recruiting fine over the last few years. Tyler Barnes done a good job. Kirk's son-in-law done a good job as the recruiting coordinator. Recruiting has not been the big problem, I don't think. I mean, they've had some issues recruiting wide receivers. I get that. I'm not trying to shy away from that. But they've had good enough people like Charlie Jones and Caleb Brown. They've had talented enough guys they just got to be coached better and put in a better position to succeed. Those are my two cents.
0: Appreciate everyone being here at the voice of college football. Um, If you did not get a chance, check out uh, Corey's post game uh, from the citrus bowl with coach Don Patterson. You can catch that right here on this channel, or just head on over to Corey's channel from the Hawkeye of the storm for all the Iowa content.
1: I'm just going to add to Mark. uh, We've got Iowa men's basketball coming up at 6 PM at Wisconsin. Uh, Big Ten Network. Then the Iowa women play at 8 p.m. Central Time on Peacock. Play Michigan State at home, so we'll have like a double post game show after the second game. So after four hours of Hawkeye hoops at 10 p.m. Central Time tonight, I'll have Coach Close on, and we'll be recapping those two games. So you know, even if you don't like watching the the men, uh, the women are exciting. It'll be a packed house at Carver, and we'll we'll have fun afterwards.
0: I'm going to put Caitlin Clark's over under point total tonight at 32. I don't know much about Michigan, but I, I think she's
1: averaging about 32. So that's a okay. pretty good Hey, She's averaging about 32, Mark. Isn't that crazy? But uh, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good over-under.
0: We talked Nebraska football. The Husker fans are mighty excited about the offseason and everything that's being done there. That's coming up here in about 25 minutes on the Nebraska channel. And I will also be hosting the Michigan show tonight. That's at 8 o'clock Eastern time over on the Michigan channel and i'm guessing we've got a few things to talk about tonight all right folks appreciate you all being here make it on back next tuesday 5 eastern 4 30 central again check out Corey's post game tonight men's and women's over on from the hawkeye of the storm